Hello and welcome to For and Against, where we look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Roach with you here, and as I always am, I'm joined by a couple of very good friends and colleagues, including Simon Johnson. G'day, Jono. As you always are, Richie, and as I always am too. Great to be here. Very true. And uh, coming in from Melbourne is Stephen Riley. G'day, Riles. I'll never leave you, Paul. I promise I'll never leave you. <laughs> the loyalty. scary. Uh, ahead in the show, we'll ask, is Test Cricket dead? or at least dying a slow death. Certainly some questions to be asked given the ICC Future Tours program that recently came out. We'll also dip into Cricket Australia's newly released five-year strategy. We'll look at Ash Barty's new role, as well as try to shed some light on why the Murray River determines which footy code you follow. As always, we'll conclude with another edition of Red Card, Yellow Card, where the missteps and misdemeanours of sports players and the like get dragged back into the spotlight here on For and Against. You can get us on social media, in particular on Twitter, at For and Against, with a little underscore at the end there, and on Insta, for dot and dot against. And that's F-O-R, for and against, uh, for those playing at home. But for now, let's get into the show. An exciting tour of England by South Africa recently saw some extraordinary cricketing feats by the visitors, but it also stood out for another reason. South Africa couldn't attract a shirt sponsor. They basically can't afford to play test cricket, and the administration there, they actually don't want to. It's borne out in the recently released Future Tours program where England will play 43 tests, Australia 40, and India 38, whereas South Africa who I'm reliably informed is the third oldest test nation on the planet and indeed top of the test championship at the moment, will only play 28. Now, Jono, I thought this was unfair at first glance, but it's actually what they want because they reckon test cricket has already lost the battle in South Africa. Really interesting story, Rochi. Obviously, on one of our recent shows, we said one day cricket could have been dead. Is test match cricket? Wow. Suffering its uh, its last rites. Um, but yeah, look, fair call. We should be talking about the on-the-field exploits of South Africa and England. It's been a great test series. Mm. England playing baseball obviously didn't work out for them in the first test, but we'll see if they can bounce back after that. South Africa have a phenomenally good side on the, on the park. But yeah, really interesting to see the direction that the South African team is taking here. As you say, very proud history of, of cricket. But in that next three to four years with the Future Tours program, as you say, they're playing 15 fewer tests over the next three years. Really interestingly, they're only playing a three-test series this time against England. And then over the next four years, they only ever play two test series. Mm. And the CEO of um, South African Cricket has said, we know that you need to play a minimum of two tests in a series for the World Test Championship points. So that's what we're doing. So they're effectively playing the minimum or as little as they can get away with. The uh, MVP, to use an a, a acronym I've seen pop up in the workplace, the minimum viable product or proposition, as the case may be. Yeah. Yeah, I think, to your point there, Jono, they, they won't play a three-match test series or more between January 2023 and September 2026 Seven. Seven. is my numbers, but it's a long time, whatever, yeah. those, whatever those numbers might be. Steve, let's bring you into the conversation. Test match cricket, your thoughts? Is it dying? Is it dead? Uh, you, you two are hilarious, <laughs> yeah, especially you, Paul. I mean, you're doomsaying any sort of form of cricket that you can find. Look, I think this is interesting for a couple of reasons. For me, the, the one thing that's really interesting is that South African cricket, South African test cricket is very successful at the moment. Mm. And that's surprising that they can't draw a following they can't draw a sponsor. 
you know, usually people jump on the bandwagon, we're the best in the world, and then you know the interest builds up, and they can they can you know put the sponsors on top of that, and and, you know, and the test team can sort of carry the the sport on its back for a bit. That they can't find a sponsor now, it, it starts to raise questions, you know, about well, is it because as you you know doomsayers uh, are suggesting that the test cricket's in trouble, or is it because the South African Cricket Administration is incompetent. And I think we can start to think it's the latter uh, because, you know, because the South African cricket team is doing well, now is the time to double down. Now is the time to say you love the sport and show that love and show why you, you know, that love exists to the, to the general public and bring them in. I, um... And instead, while they've got the best product they could possibly have, they're not backing it at all. Not sure about that with the South African Cricket Administration. So Graham Smith has a very senior role there. He was known on the field as a very pragmatic player, obviously a great uh, test cricketer and a real pragmatist. And I think he's taken a real pragmatic approach to the administration here. The reality is we're not talking about the elephant in the room here, which is T20 and more directly the IPL. So the South African Cricket Board has negotiated a new uh, 2020 league and six of the teams are going to be sponsored by IPL teams. So sponsored or owned by? Owned by, I mm. think, yeah. No, mm. you're right. So owned by IPL teams. So, I mean, I think it's not far off in the next year or so, a couple of years, where you'll find that the IPL teams will sign up players to year-long central contracts. And so mm. is it potentially the case that these South African administrators are being smart here? They're seeing the writing on the wall and they're directing their attention and their money to the shorter form of the game and just playing enough test cricket that they need to. No, I mean, this is the sort of logic that puts test cricket behind a firewall, hmm. right? Behind a paywall, sorry, I should say. <laughs> yeah, almost the same thing. You know, you put it, you, you, you take the short-term money and you cut off the sport at the knees. I think, I think it's a very short-term play. Well, but then that seems to be what they've done because they've effectively cleared out their domestic schedule to make room for this new 2020 tournament that you speak of, Jono. And uh, the window is such that um, it also allows them to play IPL. So there is effectively, I think it's almost four months of the year that's that's blocked off for this and, for 2020 leagues. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not suggesting this is a good thing or, or good for mm. world cricket. I, I think it's just the reality of where we are. Um, sport will follow the money. The money is in India. India owns the IPL. And we've talked about this ad infinitum. But the danger here is you entrench the, the situation. You, the, the cricket seems to be acquiescing to this... Where the, where the power lies at the moment, and it's likely to continue to lie to a degree. It's it's a bit like the, the the cricket World Cup, where they've actually reduced the number of teams participating, which I think is a backward step. You need the second tier teams to be playing in these big tournaments for countries to get interested in the sport, for the players in these second tier teams to be exposed to full blown international cricket, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I I just think I'm not sure whether we can pick on a particular country's administrators. I I sort of point the finger at the ICC generally for backing the strength now and and actually sort of consolidating where the power lies and having a plan, a business plan, such that it's inevitable that that will be further entrenched. Of course you can pick on the administrators. Otherwise, <laughs> why would we talk about I'll it? I'll that to you, Ross. You can, well, you can say that various forms of sport are going to die and I'll talk about the administrators. Yeah, I know you've been flipping, yeah. but, but I, I was saying we, we bagged out the, the administrators of South Africa, at least you two had argued about that. But 
I'm not sure we can pick on a specific country to lay the blame at where cricket is heading. It seems to be centralised. It's the ICC. I think that's a, a really good point. Um, and, I mean, if you look at England, you know, their test match cricket system is in a bit of a mess as well. They're focusing all their energies on the 100 at the moment. The 100's being played. Um, sorry, all the tests are shoved in at the start of the summer to make room for the 100. County cricket, what is that? It's dying a slow and tortuous death. There's no doubt about that. So, yeah, look, I think it's a fair point that the overall administration of the game needs to take a little bit more responsibility. There is, of course, the counter-argument here, Mm. which is that maybe if there's less test cricket, it'll become more of a boutique product. And I don't know if you guys saw, there's a really interesting article from Jonathan Liu at The Guardian, great writer, and I thought this was a really interesting point that he made. Who cares whether Jasper Boomer plays 50 tests or 100 tests? You know, where you've got the fast food market of the T20 and the and the 50 over game, there's certainly room for that and that's where the money is. But why not have Test Cricket as a premium product, which is played, you know, not as often and is something that we all look forward to. I, I can see the magic in that. Scarcity is, is value. Well, I think, and this this is, again, another reason why I think South Africa is missing the boat. And I'm never going to pick on just one cricket administrator. Don't you worry. You already had a shot at the UK. We'll have a go at Australia later. Um, but the... The, the interesting thing is Indian cricket hasn't given up on test cricket. They're going to play a bunch of tests in their five-year program against Australia. They're going to play a bunch of tests against England. That you know, the, the opportunity is there for South Africa if they can work their way into the Indian cricket schedule. And, Jono, I think it may have been the same article that I read that suggested that scarcity, you know, creates value, as I sort of alluded to. But but, but 2020 is just constant. It's just background. It's white noise. It's background sure. noise. It's it's every night. Do the results really mean anything? There's an opportunity here to make test cricket the thing that actually matters. And I'm not sure that, you know, India committing to test cricket is that great a thing. Sure, India are playing a lot of test matches. Australia are and England are. But they're the big three. And it'll be like the, you know, purported European soccer league that never got off the ground where you just have the top eight sides playing each other all the time that will get boring after a while you Mm. need to expand it and grow the game Mm. and and that's obviously the fundamental problem here which we all recognize but not sure what the solution is well steve um let's give you a chance to have a crack at the the cricket australia administrators now because uh, cricket australia recently released their five-year strategy paper titled where the game grows and uh look there was a a multi-page document i only got as far as the one pager um, what? I didn't read it. I didn't read the whole document, John. Come in on, fact, Richie. I have here uh, the one pager. And printed in I, black and white. I it was such it a, a fancy colour copy uh, that I saw. Yeah, I just ran out of, of blue ink or something. Um, but um, where the game grows is underpinned by the ultimate belief that cricket is truly a game for all, one that has incredible power to bring people together and benefit society, both on and off the field. Shall I go on? There's some good buzzwords there. Just well, if you want buzzwords, just just give me two more sentences. In fact, it's it's one sentence. It probably should be three, but allow me. It celebrates and respects our proud history while looking bravely toward the future as we seek to drive bold, transformative change. You like that? In digital experiences, junior, junior participation, culturally oh, diverse inclusion, gender <laughs> equality, well. sustainability, reimagining the BBL slash WBBL, player connection. Oh, Jono. Through storytelling, you missed that bit. Play out through storytelling and playing a part in developing the game globally. Amen. How good's that? Yeah, how good. Roz, have you had a chance to uh, peruse where the game grows? You're our strategy man. Uh, I don't know that I can tear it apart as eloquently uh, <laughs> as you just did. Um, look, it, it's a it's an interesting strategy. When I first looked at it, I thought, you know, this this isn't bad. They've got sort of four main strategic 
pillars. Just, just if you could just hold your buzzword bingo until the end, please, Paul. That I've got him good. here in front of me, Steve. Uh, but the, <laughs> those strategic pillars are brilliant experiences, participation, growth, inspirational players and teams, and a sustainable future. And mm. when I read those, I thought, that's pretty good. They've really sort of decided to focus and they've really decided to look at, well, what is it that they need to to invest in to lift the game? Because that, that's what that's what business strategy is all about. You know, it's trying to figure out what's winning and then investing in that. Now, Roz, can we However, um, can we can we unpack that and can you oh, drill, can you drill down into that a little bit for us? Oh, I think he was about yeah, to. However, yeah, well, yeah, if I double click on that, Simon, oh. um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> What you'll find is this goes on and on forever. Those four strategic pillars break down into 10 strategic priorities, and they're also supported by four uh, strategic en- enablers, which have also awesome. been doubled up and, you know, and and avoided any sort of choices whatsoever. This document goes on and on and on. I forgot that it has a purpose and a vision. <laughs> Who got paid it's, for this? Um, which, which consultants yeah. do we know? I, I don't. Tell us about the purpose and the vision, roles, because I was going to. I'd rather let's hear it from you. Uh, the purpose is to unite and inspire everyone, everyone. to love and play cricket. Everyone. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I might be okay with that. And the vision is a sport for all that makes Australians proud. And I, I think you can sort of hear in the makes Australian proud and unites everyone. They're still getting over. <laughs> the the, um, Sandpaper the, the Australians behaving badly. Yeah. Oh yeah, big time. I didn't. Big time. I didn't see elite honesty mentioned anywhere in the document. <laughs> um, I think that's a bit of an omission. Under one of your pillars, <laughs> Steve-O, brilliant experiences. I couldn't help notice one of the strategic priorities in that pillar is develop outstanding digital and live experiences that wow, capital W, capital O, mm-hmm. capital W, our customers. Wow. Wow. Exactly. I, I mean, just taking my cynical hat off for one second. Am I allowed to do that? Two. I'll give you two. There's some, there is actually a couple of good things in there. Uh, did you notice they want to be the leading sport for women and girls? So they want to have 140,000 mm-hmm. registered female participants by 2027. And they're investing 500 million bucks in cricket infrastructure. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of corporate buzzwords and bullshit bingo, dare I say. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, there's probably some good stuff in there, but I do want to know which consultants got how much to put that together. Someone did, and someone got a lot, I suspect. And look, I did point out the uh, the growth of BBL slash WBBL, and uh, which brings me to mention the uh, the pull and push of Dave Warner, of course, an explosive batsman, uh, been quite the phenomenon in cricket circles for a dozen years. And uh, look, with all this T20 going on around the world and all the money sloshing around, he was at risk of, of being lost to Australia in 2020, but I think the Thunder, Jono, was it, that came to the rescue? Yeah, so he played for the Thunder many moons ago, but he hasn't played in the BBL for a very long time. Um, but he was all set to join the UAE T20 League, and I think that would have been a bit controversial because he would have had to negotiate some kind of deal with Cricket Australia, who probably wouldn't have released him. There was the threat of some legal action if he wasn't going to be released. But I think common sense has prevailed and he'll be able to play for the Sydney Thunder. I think, unfortunately, he'll only play maybe four or five games, though, if he ends up playing for Australia as much as we expect he will. But still, that'll be a high-profile signing for the Thunder. Indeed, indeed. Um, Steve Smith, I think, is... is Not signed yet, but, yeah, looking still a possibility at, as looking we talk. for the Sixers. Okay, yeah. I thought he'd thrown his toys out, but uh, still, a, still a maybe. And before we leave cricket, just a little sort of uh, tap on the end. Uh, we've learned to live with COVID courtesy of cricket. I don't know if you noticed, folks, but uh, during the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, the Australians made the final of the the 2020 tournament, and 
Australian all-rounder Talia McGrath was able to take part in that gold medal match despite being tested positive for COVID-19. Now, she didn't line up with her teammates during the national anthems and, in fact, wasn't in the dugouts but sitting by herself in a stand wearing a face mask, but went out to bat and uh, without, a, without a mask, as you might imagine. So um, cricket leading the world out of the COVID darkness there. Yeah, if they ever chose we can live with COVID, there, there is your example. She was also seen celebrating arm-in-arm arm with the team without a mask <laughs> at the end. So, yeah, I'm not sure if it was oh, a super spreader event or not. This is, uh, this is, this is poor. Poor, poor, poor. And if, only because it happened on the field of play, we can't nominate it for red card, yellow card later. Yeah, it shouldn't have been allowed. And uh, oh, mm. I don't know. Come on, you Ross. can't strip them of the gold medal, though, so it's okay. It shouldn't be allowed. How, we got, we got to yeah. navigate the way out of COVID somehow. And if, if sport needs to lead us there, then so be it. <laughs> on to the shootout now, where we cover a few topics in shorter fashion. Uh, Ash Barty. Shocked the tennis world in 2022, announcing her retirement as she stood atop the very peak of the uh, of the mountain. Only in her mid-20s, what did this mean for her future, a career in golf, a return to the WBBL, or a tennis comeback some stage down the track? No, she's landed in the C-suite at Optus. Joining fellow Aussie sports superstar Dan Ricardo in the Optus stable, Barty has a new job as their chief of inspiration <laughs> what else is there to say i mean it's the c-suite the c-o-i uh is it yeah c-i-o isn't it <laughs> chief inspiration officer or well, is it i thought they'd started out along those lines but the correct nomenclature does seem to be C-O-I. chief of inspiration right. i see well she's yeah, been um... nomenclature not nomenclature oh, okay, okay. Right. depends cool. depends which side of the yeah. track you were born on i suppose she's been busy ash got married uh, yep. She was over at the British Open at St Andrews, yeah. uh, doing a, a few corporate golf gigs and having a good time. And um, yeah, I, I saw that she's helping Australians say yes to their goals, <laughs> dreams, and ambitions. Picking on, up on the Optus uh, slogan, you fishing for some sponsorship of the show from Optus, mate? Oh, mate, dude, yeah, anything, anything will do. Doing a good work. You know around. what you sound to me, Simon? You sound inspired. She's done her job. This is true. Although, no, he doesn't. I mean, in esteemed company there, as you said, with Ricardo and Gladys Berejiklian Gladys, as well. The, so, the disgraced former New South Wales Premier. What do you mean disgraced? <laughs> St. Gladys. <laughs> IPAC pinged her, mate. St. Gladys. She's not Premier because she did wrong. IPAC. I, I, IPAC. <laughs> Get a bit worked up when you talk about Gladys, Reggie. Just leave, well, leave Gladys out you, of it. Listen to you. Yeah. You oh, brought I, Gladys into it. So we've got the I did indeed. chief of inspiration. What's what's Danny? Is he's, he's chief of optimism? Well, he's going to yeah, find another gig. This is yeah. this is awkward now, isn't it? Chief of optimism, and I think his, what is de- Gladys, his yeah. departure from well, Ricardo's departure from McLaren will test that chief of optimism role. She liked an eleven o'clock, 11 o'clock meeting. Gladys. Oh, we're back to Gladys, are we? Yeah, okay. sorry. Can we you get dragged back it back into the conversation. <laughs> I want to talk about Dan. You want to talk about Gladys? Fair dinkum. I mean, they probably it's a sports show, of, mate. They spend a lot of time together. <laughs> Down. I did see Gladys at the Grand Prix, the Melbourne Grand Prix. I was oh, down Gladys. there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sort of mixing the two. I'm trying to find some middle ground here, Jono. Thanks, mate. And, um, yeah, I was trying to scam my way into the paddock club when I got and managed to get in the back of the Red Bull garage. Did I tell you how I managed to get back in the Red Bull garage? No, tell me, Reggie. No, no, I'll tell you some other time. But I did. Thanks for asking. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, didn't. You know that, Riles. Happened to know some friends in high places. So you saw St. Gladys. Saw Gladys walking along the, along the grass with her. Looking f- happy and relaxed uh, and inspired. Yeah. Thanks it, to Dan. To or- fit, look, she's not in – She's. I'm not sure she's in the actual C-suite, but she's not sort of in this sort of chief of happiness, all this touchy-feely stuff. She's actually got a real role. It's a good gig for Ash, Gen- whatever, we, whatever we say. Oh, we're back to Ash now. Back right? to Ash, yeah. Okay, sure. 
But Gladys has a real role with Optus. <laughs> she does, yeah. Not just one of those figurehead yeah, yeah. chief of ethics. Maybe Gladys is chief Ooh. of ethics. Oh, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Not touching that one. Ah, uh, dear. Anyway, uh, keeping an eye on, the, uh, on Optus, they're sure to uh, add your favourite sports star to their stable any moment now. With uh, footy finals time upon us, uh, look, I mean, we here at Foreign Against try to bring a well-rounded view of the sports world to the show, but the reality is that much of the country is firmly divided when it comes to which footy code is followed by default. And, and I'm not talking about the rugby factions in New South Wales and Queensland, but rather that's a rectangle field versus oval field dichotomy that exists across the country. And so it got us thinking, why does this divide exist? What, what are the historical reasons? There must be some. And look, from what I could tell, there are plenty of theories, but no clear reason, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's an interesting one, Richie. So, I mean, the AFL was obviously previously known as uh, Victoria Rules Footy. Mm. And actually, before that, it was known as Melbourne Rules. I didn't realise this. But it yeah, kicked off in the Melbourne area in the 1850s, apparently. There's a number of theories, as you say, and I don't think there's anything set in concrete. But one of the theories is the uh, gold rush. And that brought a large number of Irish immigrants to Victoria, and they started playing footy. And lo and behold, it resembled Gaelic football. Mm. Another theory was that there was already in existence a lot of cricket fields. And so the cricket field being oval, it was probably more conducive to AFL than uh, rugby rugby union at the time. Because mm-hmm. rugby league obviously didn't kick off until the early 1900s, I think. Indeed, in indeed, as a reaction to uh, professionalism versus amateurism in rugby union. Uh, Riles, you're our Melbourne correspondent. Um, but, you know, what's the, what's the feeling on the ground there? Why does – actually, well, I'm going to answer my own question. You guys don't care, do you? Does rugby league even exist in in the Melbourne sporting thinking at all? Of course, of course it exists because it's a sport and we're the sporting capital of the world. It exists and mm. we play it here and we master it and we we are the best at that too. But I, I think I think Paul's onto something. Uh, Simon's onto something. I think it was Gaelic football that got going on the cricket fields, and they just said we're going to you know all of those other sports we can do better. That's what we do. And, John, I think your point there about it originally being called Melbourne Rules, assuming that is indeed the case, is relevant because as a Sydney sider, you're probably not going to be that enamoured to the idea of, of yeah. playing a Melbourne game. And remember, this is all pre-Federation, well and truly pre-Federation. Very parochial. So it? as far as these colonies are concerned, they could one day be different countries. There was a bit of a, an apocryphal story. Not sure how accurate this is, but did you see that uh, I think back in 1877, Philip Sheridan, one of the trustees of the SCG, oh, yeah. obviously... Uh, Probably the Sheridan Stand. The old Sheridan Stand, uh, it was. Named after Correct. him. So he invited a well-known champion Australian rules player and cricketer by the name of George Coulthard up to Sydney to talk about establishing Victoria Rules, as it was then called, in New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the trip didn't go so well for George Coulthard. He was invited on a fishing trip out on Sydney Harbour, and whilst the group was out on the water, he was dragged off the boat by a shark, what? which had grabbed onto the tail of his coat, and he was lucky Come to on. escape with his life. It's a, a true story. <laughs> Absolute true story. And after, after surviving the attack, Coulthard went back to Melbourne almost immediately. It's part of Australian folklore that this is the reason why really? Australian rules never took is off in New South Wales or Queensland. Is that why the Cronulla Rugby League team are called the Cronulla Sharks? In honour of the day, they chased away Aussie rules from, from Sydney? <laughs> Must have been. I'd ask like Rolls what he thinks, but he's laughing too hard at that little story, Jono. Well, yeah, and they didn't come back until they were beautiful swans in the 80s. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, the other thing I like about the, the history that I, that I did unearth in looking into this is the Barassi line. Are you familiar with the Barassi line? No. Steve-O, the Barassi line? I'm not. So no, um, in honour of 
um, Ron Barassi Sr., who I believe is the father of the Ron Barassi, who's you know the famous uh, Aussie rules guy these days, who played the game and then went to went to World War II and lost his life in World War II. But in honour of this person, there was a sports historian back in the, sort of the late 60s, early 70s who who did his annual lecture. And it was called the, the Ron Barassi Lecture, I think it was. And so this guy, whose name escapes me, I think it was in the late 70s, he came up with this concept of the Barassi line. And it's it's, it's the Ian Turner. There, thank Ian you, Steve. Junks, there's no how good's Google. But so essentially, everything to the right of this line, or the northeast of this line, and I'm going to describe the line in a sec, played rugby league, and everything to the left, to the south, to the southwest, played Aussie rules. And the line it goes from Cape Howe, which is basically the the, the coastal border of, of New South Wales and Victoria, and draws a pretty straight line inland through inland Queensland and stops where the Northern Territory border and the Queensland border meet the Gulf of Carpentaria. Wow, the Barassi Line. The Barassi Line. You learn yeah. something new every show, Reggie. You do, and back then apparently it was quite a rigid kind of, you know, there was just no... Over there they played rugby league, and over there they played Aussie rules, and that was it. Now obviously things have changed a bit, both sports have expanded, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but I think it's still a fairly accurate representation of where the strengths of the two codes... I like it. Why? Yeah, the Barassi Line. There you go. On to uh, It's Not Sport, but we like it. As I say, a couple of things here that um, tickle our competitive bones, but can't really describe as sports. And we're getting to the point, really, that nothing can't be turned into some sort of competition these days. The latest such example to uh, cross the for and against desk centres around, can you believe it, Microsoft Excel. Now, uh, Excel's not my first language. I've got a good basic (laughs) grasp of how to use it. And for a couple of days, I think back in the early 2000s, I may even have known what VLOOKUP was. But... um, when it comes to pivot tables and macros, you might as well get someone else involved. And, and I presume it doesn't end there as to what you can do with Excel. Now, Jono, I'm guessing we're kindred spirits when it comes to Excel. You don't grab me as being a real Excel no, whiz. No, no, certainly not. Mm. No. What about you, Riles? You, you probably fancy yourself a little bit at the old Excel, I reckon. I made a career out of Excel, Paul, but but as someone in charge of technology in his day job, uh, I wage war against it and I'm looking for oh. more specialised uh, be... bits of kit. To, to do what they need to do. You know, to Excel, Excel. So you can do so much with Excel. It's just incredible. But what happens is people build their own little mini industries. And if they ever leave an organization, someone has to figure out how it all worked. It's very, very dangerous stuff. I thought you were going to say you're a Google Sheets man or something like that. But no, <laughs> it was better than that. That's the for and against engine room, isn't it? Google Sheets. It is, Google, yeah. Google Drive. But, but so, Richie, tell me about this. I mean, I, I had a quick look they at it as turn well. into a competition. So yeah. we've established how inept we, we are or, or disinterested in the case of Steve-O we are at Excel, but other people are actually really good at it. So it's basically, it's a form of eSports. Correct. correct. So, uh, did, so these, you, did you watch any of it? Well, well I, I did. We, did. Were you the one that actually shared the link in the first I, place? I, I did, you yeah, were. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, So I did, and now I made the mistake though of looking at the full two and a quarter hour oh, uh, no. or starting to look at this full two and a quarter hour tape. <laughs> I, I should have gone straight to the half hour package that ESPN there's has a, put together. There's ESPN. A, there's a five minute highlights package Five minutes. Well. Oh, yeah. okay. Right, I need to go back and look at that. So it's organised by the Financial Modelling World Cup. It's a replay of the all-star battle stage. It really is quite extraordinary. So this particular event saw a total of eight elite modellers all vying to prove their supreme mastery of the iconic Microsoft software <laughs> by solving complex financial problems. And it's it's an eSport. It's it's bizarre. It's bizarre. It's boring. Go on, Steve. Well, Paul, I'm a little bit surprised. I thought you would have liked it because we all know that you only watch sport for the crashes. 
<laughs> you know that's not right, obviously. Well, oh, hang on. Computer crashes? Is that what you were trying to do there? Yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah, nice one. There you are. It. There you are. Sorry. You bit slow that macro you. was a bit slow to work its way through. Yeah, <laughs> touche, touche. But, um, yeah, so they've televised it. I think the commentators, they could probably do with a maybe yeah, a refresh on the commentating definitely. team. I mean, there were some good commentators. There was one who I thought was fantastic. He was kind of like the Ray Warren mm. of the XL commentary team. And I, <laughs> I saw that he yelled out at one point, the uh, competitor's name was Morgan Carr. Didn't mm-hmm. you pick up on that? And mm-hmm. he said, Morgan Carr, he's the XL czar. Morgan Carr, a superstar. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. I don't see how we can top that. So I think we should leave XL, uh, the World XL Championships right there. And move on to red card, yellow card. I mean, arguably, a bit of XL World Championships might have snuck into uh, red card, yellow card there. But um, we have our own separate uh, nominations. And, Steve-O, let's start with you. Well, you know, he hasn't been on uh, the nomination list for some time. But Dennis Rodman mm. is my nomination for red card, yellow card. Going back to North and, Korea? you know, better than that, of course, you are right. He was the man that saved us all from Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un. And luckily, he has volunteered to step into the breach to enter into talks with Vladimir Putin to win the release of WNBA superstar Brittany Griner, mm. who is, uh, had been sentenced to nine years in a, uh, a Russian jail. Thank goodness, Dennis Rodman is going over to Russia to, and I quote Dennis, help that girl. <laughs> to bring Brittany home. <laughs> Great stuff. It is a bit. Well, um, it is a bit. Aren't we getting ahead of ourselves? I mean, it may be successful. Could be a gold medal rather yeah, than a yellow card or right. a red card. Or are you giving him a yellow for his just arrogance and presumptuousness? Well, you are right. There was uh, a disconnect in my nomination, and that is because he's not going. And, the, you know, the card, and you can choose the colour, is because he built up that expectation. Yeah, right, he yeah. built up uh, our hopes. And then the US government says... <laughs> couldn't get a visa. He can't go... He can't go because he's uh, not entitled to actually give the Russians anything that they want <laughs> as far as the, yeah, to let Britney go. Donald, Donald, Trump. Donald Trump's not the president anymore. All so. the more reason to let him go yeah. if he can't deliver. Yeah, okay. All right, so his efforts have been stymied by the government rather than him just chickening out. So I think that's a yellow. It's my yeah, call. I reckon that. Okay. okay, cool. Uh, moving on, Jono, what about your nomination? Uh, Rochi, golf again. We haven't talked about golf Far this out. show, so I thought I'd throw it into red card, yellow card. You know how I love a little bit of golf. We talked a few months back, I think, about the Jack Nicholas Corporation mm. suing Jack Nicholas. Oh, well, yeah. I've got another golf legend, Gary Player, taking some action against his own son, Mark Player. So, Player v. Player. Oh. It's fair to say Gary has had some family issues to deal with over the years. Um, another son, so not Mark, but another son, Wayne Player, hijacked the first tea ceremony at the 2021 U.S. Masters by holding up a sleeve of golf balls that he'd been paid to promote whilst Augusta was honouring the legendary player Lee Elder. And he got into some serious trouble there. But Mark Player is definitely the black sheep of the Player family. Um, Gary actually sued his son back Mm. in 2020 and was awarded $5 million in damages which was a result of Mark illegally using his name and likeness. But most recently, Gary has sadly been forced to put out a statement saying he's taken action against his son, Mark, after Mark put up several trophies and memorabilia which belong to Gary for auction. So it's pretty torrid times mm. in the player household. Feel sorry for the great man. I don't know. I think yellow card for the whole family, really. Sounds it. Yeah, just across the board. 
Jeez, no good. No good at all. Two stroke penalty. Yes, indeed. Glad as it lasts. Yeah, don't want to be there uh, for Christmas dinner at that place, that household. The Newcastle Knights were confronted with video of skipper Kalen Ponga emerging from a toilet cubicle with a teammate on a recent weekend. Now, you might think that Ponga being out drinking with fellow knight Kurt Mann while recovering from a serious concussion might be the nomination. Oh, no. So the video in question is of Ponga and Mann emerging together from this toilet cubicle, each holding a drink. I don't know, maybe there was another bar in there? Nothing to see here, you're right. Who knows what they could have been doing there. There is a bit of a side nomination. I'm nominating Ponga in case this isn't clear, but there is a bit of a side nomination here for Ponga's father. Oh, yeah. Who apparently explained it away by saying Kalen had celebrated a bit too hard after a house purchase. <laughs> and Man was in the cubicle to support him while he had a bit of a vomit. And look, who can't attribute some of their biggest nights on the Terps to buying a house? Yeah, sure. But yeah. Sorry, Mr. Ponga. The, Mr. Ponga Senior, the evidence did suggest otherwise. And, um, yeah, a couple of fellas looking otherwise quite coherent, emerging from a, a toilet cubicle together. Indeed. Not a good look there for Kalen. In, in small ones. town, Newcastle, oh, to be doing that. Small enough. Small town. Small enough. Not very bright. I read some stats that the um, cocaine use has... Oh, sorry, you know, just on a completely different topic. Um, <laughs> that cocaine use has spiked big time after COVID. Is that right? And both sewage treatment assessment and also just number of arrests and so forth. About 98% of arrests are in public places and or licensed premises. I see. Is inflation hitting uh, you know, that, those goods and services? I don't well? know. That Jeez. might require some further research and perhaps I'll just leave that right there. So anyway, a yellow card for Ponga. We're happy with that? I think so. Good stuff. And with the conclusion of Red Card, Yellow Card, that brings us to the end of For and Against, another exciting episode. See you later, Stephen Riley. See you, Paul. See you, Simon. See you, everyone. See you later, Jono. See you, Richie. Don't forget us on the socials on Twitter at For and Against underscore Instagram for dot and dot against. And until next time in a couple of weeks' time, it's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Bye for now. <laughs>